podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. To a Celtic state of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes. I'm sitting in for Kevin Graham uh, with the usual Wednesday lineup of Paddy Sinnott, John Hughes, good morning, and Patrick Miguel. Welcome to the show, lads. How are you? Afternoon, John. Yes, sorry about that. <laughs> Confused already. Yeah, no, I've had a very busy couple of days, and I'm hoping I only just got here, and I'm hoping that uh, unlike school, um, I can offer more than my attendance. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's been pretty busy. Good to see you, lads. You could offer more than your attendance, Paddy. What did you offer it? By the way, just to get this clear, I've been listening to how Kevin is dealing with two Patricks in the room. Paddy <laughs> is referred to as Paddy. Patrick McGulp is referred to as Patrick. And I think that's simple. Paddy, what, what did you bring to school other than your attendance? Oh, mate, I, I went to I went to St. Rocks in Royston in Glasgow. I don't know if you're familiar with St. Rocks. Oh, yes. Um, aye, brilliant school. Um, what did I bring to that? I didn't bring my football skills anyway, put it that way. Um, <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't good enough to make the team because I had a great team when I was, when I was at secondary school. I admire your honesty because normally you speak to people and it was because of that dodgy elbow they never made it as a footballer and all this carry on. I, well, do you know what? I hear I, that I was, all the time. I was all right at football. I was all right at it, I was, but I was never any great shake, so to be fair. Listen, it's it's all about just being in about it. The the social yeah. aspect of football for me was bigger than anything else. We used to, They used to take us all over the place and we ended up doing tournaments in Amsterdam and you, you, you seem to have like more social skills than guys and girls that aren't involved um, yeah. and that type of thing at the time. But you mentioned St. Rocks, which actually leads us on. A Celtic state of mind, um, our pals with St. Rocks, our first weekender, um, contributed quite a few quid to their um, their mental health campaign, which is the, the kind of walk and rock talk campaign, uh, which has gone really, really well for them. And around about that time, we decided we'd help them with their centenary game, which, of course, was meant to be back in 2020, but we know what happened. The world went a wee bit crazy um, for a while, but now we're doing it. It's St Rock Select versus Celtic Select, 16th of April. Believe it or not, Axom are bringing together the ex-Celts. We're not going to choose the team, but we are bringing them all together. And um, in the dugout will be very special guest Celtic manager and assistant manager up at James McGrory Park. Um, i seen that the link for tickets was released today by St Rocks, so we'll put it all out on the socials as well. It's going to be tremendous. Some brilliant names, by the way, are going to be involved in the Celtic Select. Paddy um, brought his football skills to the uh, to school. Patrick, what did you bring? Definitely not my football skills anyway. Uh, I was absolutely shocking, still am. <laughs> um, I don't know, I was a mad Celtic supporter, I suppose. You know, I went to I went to school in Hamilton, so there was quite a lot of Aki's fans and quite a lot of uh, Motherwell fans. It was the time when um, Alex Neal was Hamilton Aki's manager and for about three months they were going to win the league. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of uh, Aki's, um, supposed Aki's fans jumping on the bandwagon while they were half decent. So... I just, you know, done half decent, not a very good footballer and uh, just followed Celtic, really. No, that's that's fair enough. John, did you inherit any of your, your late father's football ability? Uh, well, it's difficult to know because uh, Dad is, was sort of proven by his very short managerial career, was the world's worst coach. Uh, he, uh, he basically, because he came up... Uh, in a way that you already had to be fully formed. They didn't get any coaching, so they basically just rocked up at Celtic and signed. That was them fully formed. There wasn't any coaching of note until Jockstein came in. Uh, but ironically, d- despite the fact he went on to treat everyone else that way, he complained about it later on in his book, how the fact <laughs> they, never, they never get developed as football players. Um, but no, he was uh, basically, you, you know, you would you would start, you'd be passing the ball back and forward, you try a couple of keepy uppies, and basically, if, if you weren't like Maradona, 
but within 30 seconds he was just oh, yeah, no, never mind <laughs> so uh, I ended up playing rugby uh, uh, for the most part all throughout my, my school career Nah, um, brilliant. You know, so um, yeah, no, we we all had uh, the athletic gifts to one degree or another, but none of us ended up in, in football. My brother was a very good runner. My oldest brother was another good uh, rugby player. All my nephews play rugby now. They're all huge and they all play for you know Scotland and Glasgow and various other people. So uh, the gifts are still there. I think it's fair to say I have squandered them a bit more than most. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, we never really got the coach. And I don't know. I, I always think it might have turned out well, but. Yeah, no, you never know these things because once it's the same with rugby, you get to a certain level and you think, I'm not going to compete with these guys. You know, it's, you know, you have to acknowledge it yourself. You're just like, nah, you know, they're too big, too fast, too strong. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and it's going to be the same in the football. I think for most people, you get to a certain level and you go, mm, I'm not going any further than this. Even when you're okay in your own backyard, John, you, you tend to get that realisation when you draw a right decent side in the Scottish Cup and then you, you <laughs> realise actually they're about three or four levels above us. Um, maybe one day we'll have a seven asides Axon team. Who knows? Loads to discuss in the world of Celtic. Yes, uh, Patrick <laughs> earlier on in the, the, uh, the group chat was talking about how big a week this is for Celtic's treble aspirations. And I know that there's a lot of people in the comments don't like to, to tempt fate or or second guess what's going to happen next. But but Paddy, we have a legitimate reason for discussing a treble right now. We are on course, the form that we are showing. Um, obviously, we'll talk about the fact it's Angie's 100th game tonight. Um, we have a legitimate reason for discussing a potential treble this season. Is that for me or for young Patrick? Paddy, that's you. For me? Ah, right, OK. I'm not going to call you old Paddy. I'm just going to call ah, you Paddy. No, that's fine. No, listen, I, I, I've spoke when the, the, this podcast every Wednesday about a, about a treble and how we 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 are not sure because that's just been presumptuous but um, we're, we're well on course for it and the League Cup was obviously the first step to that um, next thing obviously we've got the league tonight against Hearts we should take care of that hopefully um, although I've got some stats here that might show it could be a tricky tie um, but I, I mean it's going to be a tough one at Tyne Castle it's never easy to go there they always seeped up the game against us. I think the last time we played them there was 4-3. And mm. that was, um, I'm sure it was a Greg Taylor, 70-odd minute goal that, that got us the three points. So uh, they, they, they are probably um, the toughest opponent, I think, ahead of us um, by, a, by a long shot. Yeah. I, I mean, with regards to Hearts, I mean, I always feel that we do get a game in the Tin Castle games. I never feel as though we're going to go out and uh, win, you know, the three or four nothing. It seems to always be tight. I'm always more confident going into the games uh, at home. One eye on the, the weekend's game, Patrick, young Patrick, bottom left. Um, do you think that will affect Hearts more than Celtic? Because I've got a comment here coming from Jungle Lion saying that we might make three or four changes tonight. I said last week we're going to play our strongest team every single week, although that may change because of the performances of Lila Bada, etc., etc. But do you, do you think Hearts will have one eye on Saturday's game tonight when it comes to team selection? Definitely. Um, I think they'll fancy Saturday as their chance to take something. I mean they're pretty much guaranteed third place. So they're also not going to come to Parkhead expecting a result. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a free hit if you want. Whereas Tyne Castle, they know it's a tough place to go. They know they make it a tough atmosphere. And then you've got to remember they're three games away from a trophy, which obviously trophies don't come along for teams outside of Celtic that often. So they want to take full advantage of that. So I think you're right. I think I'm not saying tonight will be made easier by, you know, Hearts mentality or they'll, they'll lie down to us or whatever, but I think they'll definitely be having one eye on Saturday. And, you know, it's, it's I think Paddy sort of touched on it there. It's not that we should be expecting a treble, but I think the way it works out, we're 10 wins away from it because games against Rangers are six-pointers in the league. With 10 games to go, you're going to go on his favourite to every single one of them. I think statistically you're probably... You probably should be winning a treble, but we know how these cup competitions go, how refereeing decisions go. So I think, yeah, I think the, the game on Saturday will be the toughest one, but obviously we need to focus on tonight first. Talking about refs, we'll come back to them. John, the reason I'm talking about a treble is 
if we look at the um, entirety of the situation, the big picture, as it's often called, um, the, the, the state of Celtic's squad finances, managerial stability versus the state of Rangers. And I feel that, and I've said this a few times, that we, we have entered, we're not entering, I think we're in, we've entered a period um, of, unless there is a massive change um, at Ibrox, we, we have entered a period of domination again in Scottish football. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you win the treble every season. Of course it doesn't. We, we had four in a row, which even now when I think about it is astonishing what an achievement that is. But we have all, all the elements in place, and I feel that Rangers don't. They've thrown everything, including the kitchen sink, at stopping us from winning the 10. Um, for them to win a, a fabled 55 that no one else on the planet was interested in. And now you're seeing the impact of that. They've got no assets to sell. There's loads of players coming out out of their contracts. Um, they're going to be landing, if they finish second in the league, they're going to land in the third qualifying kind of stage of the Champions League. It's going to be very hard for them to then get to the promised land there, John. And I just feel that this week could be huge um, when we look back maybe in a year or two's time as being a pivotal weekend, all of that coming to fruition. Well, they certainly threw uh, quite a lot at winning that fabled one uh, that they have. Um, so, but other than that, uh, yeah, no, I couldn't agree uh, anymore, Paul. Uh, in fact, I'm, you know, again, I know everyone likes to hedge their bets because you don't know, you know, what happens in cup competitions. You can get a bad break, a bad run of the ball, you know, whatever. But that shouldn't be the case. Uh, you know, it, it would be a shock, quite frankly, if we didn't win it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, certainly to me it would. Uh, and I think people who are saying, oh, no, you can't, you know, you, you can't say it with any degree of expectation. I, I, you know, I disagree. Uh, and I think everyone will disagree. If we were to lose it, people would be pretty disappointed. Um, uh, so I think that reaction is fairly telling on its own. Uh, I, you know, I believe we are definitely in a period of domination, I think there's no question of that. And in fact, I think it could get significantly bigger very quickly um, because, you know, the uh, the new co have a, a massive clear out to do. Um, and I don't think Beale's up to that job at all. Uh, if you look at, you know, the experience Ange had before he came here, Mm. Uh, decades as a manager at you know a highest level, he'd done those clear outs in different levels multiple times. Knew his vision, uh, knew his style, uh, knew knows how to handle players. Is ruthless with some arm round the other. Brilliant man manager as far as we've seen, but takes no prisoners. Brilliant with the press, you know. Uh, Bill wouldn't even qualify as his apprentice in my view. Uh, so I, I don't. I think they are bang in trouble. Uh, come the end of this season, I think they're going to struggle. Uh, because, put it this way, the only reason we managed it was because we got that specific man yeah. to do a specific job. Mm -hmm. And we were able to take advantage of his specific knowledge, his career knowledge and where he came from. And we were able to rebuild a, a team and a very, very good team for a fraction of what anyone believed before that would have been possible, an absolute fraction. So, you know, I would say that we struck it lucky, but yeah, I mean, you have to give, despite the fact we get slaughtered the board at the time from the debacle around Eddie Howe, um, you know, that's fair enough. They deserved a, a slaughtering for that. But, you know, the picking up of Ange, uh, have, having even Ange on the radar when no one knew who he was, you know, you have to give them credit where credit is due. Um so that was a, a, a masterstroke from whoever came up with it. Uh, that's still under dispute, I, I believe. Um, so it, it's, it's fantastic. For us at the moment, I, I feel um, very, very confident. Uh, yes, you're going to have, not every game is going to be perfect. You're going to have challenges. Hearts will be a challenge. But I mean, look, I mean, if you, if you look at our relative positions in the, the league, if you look at the points, if you look at the goal difference, um, the goal difference in particular is vast. Um, so, you know, can they put up a, a challenge um, and will they put up a, you know, can they frustrate us for a while? Yeah, of course, anyone can. They can frustrate you for a while, mm -hmm. but they can't, I don't think they can frustrate you, frustrate you for 90 minutes. Um, so we might have some performances you wouldn't qualify as pretty, but, you know, I, I don't believe anyone's going to stop us getting the job done. I fully expect 
uh, a, a treble from this season, uh, and I'll be very disappointed if that's not the case. Uh, you know, touch wood and all that. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't believe anyone should be stopping us. I don't believe anyone is equipped to stop us. Uh, and in fact, that's the problem we have going forward now. We have uh, so many good players on the bench and how we're going to accommodate them all and keep them happy. Uh, that That's a massive undertaking for us. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I often go into a, a new season and ask myself, what are our targets for this season, Paddy? You know, what, what's the aspirations for this campaign? And I don't think there's anything wrong with having the ambition of winning a treble. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then you can start looking at, you know, how are we progressing in Europe, etc. Some people think that uh, there's an entitlement or, or there's an arrogance with that kind of thing. I don't think so at all. I just think it's about setting standards and having these goals in mind and thinking to yourself, well, you know, n- don't concentrate a bit, you know, around what's happening with the opposition a great deal, but make sure that you're aware of any kind of challenges that's coming through. I've heard a lot of talk from Tynecastle about you know breaking the domination of Scottish football and becoming a second force in Scottish football, and you know what, right? I think it was it's fine because you're you're obviously giving the the fans something to look forward to, and you're giving them um, an ambition, which I think is tremendous. I actually don't think it's that far from uh, reality when you look at the state of the situation at Ibrox. And by the way. I think it's probably at the moment a minority. I think there are fans of Rangers starting to realise that as well, Paddy. Just to touch on something John was saying there about their banging trouble. When when we hired Ange Postacoglu, the, the other thing we had in our advantage was as well, we had money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Plus we had sellable assets. They have neither. Yeah. So they've got what, nine or ten players yeah. out of contract in the summer. John, is that right? Or 12? Is it 12 I think players? it was 12, Paddy. 12 so the last time I checked. How are they going to replace them? What they're going to what they're going to use with money? Are they going to replace them when they've not spent a bean in um, I don't know about, about a year? Um, but that's by the by. In, in regards to Hearts splitting the the Glasgow two, well, that just basically means they're going to come second every year because I think Hearts are, are, are a, they're a good side. Um, but they just don't have the finances to compete with us. Let's just be honest about it. They, they, they just cannot spend the money that we that we can spend when we need to. Um, £50 million in the bank already. We've got players in the first team who are worth, I mean, I don't know, how much would you, what value would you place on Hitati? What value would you place on Kyogo, even Starfelt? I mean, these guys are, are phenomenal. So, sorry, Paddy, Paddy, I hate to interrupt, but it's just because it just popped into my head last night. I was uh, sitting watching, and it just came, it came up because I was thinking about O and you know what my opinion was with O, and it hasn't really changed. And you, you know, you're, you're looking at the YouTube clips, and you, we we take so much from it. See if you were to put the YouTube's package which someone did together for Hitati. Tell you what. Unbelievable! Yeah. Unbelievable! His his clips are unbelievable, right. and it'd be, it'd be worth fortunes if you were basing it just on that. Sorry, he's but he's pass, passed against Real Madrid alone at Parkhead was, was oh, probably worth thirty million pounds. I know, um, but no, I mean, like I, that, that, where was I? I kind of lost my. I so I think That's what we were saying was um, Hearts would become the second because they're, they're certainly not going to challenge us for for, for the league unless. They get a, a mysterious Middle East benefactor that somebody's hoping for to appear in the government way. But nah, um, I I, to- I totally lost my train of thought there. But anyway, long and short is, I think Hearts would be the second force. I can see that. I could I could see that happening. Yet that's yeah. my fault. Sorry, but no, just, no, you're, you're, you're fine. Add on, add on to that. Nobody's sports washing any money in Scottish football. No. That's never happened. No, you're right. You're right, John. I know that we we discussed last week uh, the comments made by David Lowe in relation to the ownership of Celtic. Um, if any, if anyone um, is going to be attractive to massive investors, it's going to be it's going to be Celtic. You know, you're you're absolutely right, John. And I've often looked at the capital and thought to myself that the teams have underachieved. I've, I've pals of both clubs who support Hibs, support Hearts and I've often thought they've underachieved but it comes to that bit, there's been some moments in my Celtic support in life where it probably did require that wee bit of investment, sometimes when the January comes round and they fall away we've spoken a lot about Vim Janssen's season for example over the last few weeks and yeah they, they were 
they were the third force in Scottish football at the time. But when it comes down to that bit where they've got to not only maybe sometimes strengthen, but also be winners, because that's something that isn't easy if, if you've never done it before. And there's another thing as well, Paddy, you quite rightly said, money in the bank, assets on the park. What we've also got is we've got a legacy of managing uh, sales to the degree that if Kieran Tierney leaves Arsenal, for example, Patrick, we get we get um, a sell-on. If Jeremy Frimpong um, is, is to move on for Bayer Leverkusen, we get a sell-on. And we've probably got half a dozen players out there. I think Ayer's got a sell-on, Edouard's got a sell-on. We've got that as well, which is money in the bank at a future date. It's a nice wee windfall when it comes around. And people are going to be looking at this going, look at these guys overreacting. All of a sudden, Rangers are going to be the third force. I'll tell you what, if you were to look under the bonnet, as it were, in terms of the finances, the assets, the way that, that we have built since I just come in, I don't think it's uh, too ridiculous to suggest that, by the way, they, they could well struggle next season because, as John says, Patrick, they don't have an Ange Postacoglu at the helm. Who, you know, I'm not saying he had a magic wand, but the job he did was phenomenal, incredible, and probably exceeded um, what we all want. what we Not what we wanted, but what we expected from him as well, Patrick. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Bill... As John said, you know he's he's not even an apprentice compared to Ange. Ange has twenty five years of experience. Bill has, I think, twenty five games of experience in the <laughs> football management. So, you know, in terms of experience, it just doesn't compare. Uh, he's obviously not had a playing career. I know Ange didn't have you know the best playing career, but he did play for a number of years. Um, and not only that, when you talk about selling players, you know you've sort of got that added bonus of we're getting 10%, 20% sell-on fee. I think there's rumours of us getting money if Arsenal win the league. Um, I imagine that'll be a million or two, I don't know, a couple of hundred yeah. thousand. But not only that, you've got, for potential buyers, you've got a history there of Ayers uh, uh, went on, uh, been capable in the Premier League, Forster, I think he's playing for Tottenham now, went to Southampton as well. Virgil van Dijk became best defender in the world. Kieran Tierney, you know, Wanyama, you've got this history of player sales where, you know, if you buy from us for a big fee, these are decent players. It's just about how you manage them. You know, we're not going to sell you a dud. Um, we're giving you young players with European experience and you're going to get a good product. And it shows trust there. Um, you know, clubs can trust us, whereas, you know, on the other side, they've sold Patterson and Bassey. Uh, Bassey's getting absolute pelters over in the Netherlands and Patterson's barely kicked a ball for Everton and that's their only two sales. So to potential buyers you would go, well, you've never really sold a player that's, you know, had success elsewhere and you've got guys like Morelos who take the huff and drag their feet and don't sign contracts. Mm -hmm. So they're not in a good position in that regard when it comes to experience, both from, you know, managerial perspective and selling assets and, you know, as John and Paddy both said, when Ange came in, we had money in the bank, we had sellable assets. They don't have any of those things. Um, so it'll be a challenge for them to rebuild in the summer. And I think that makes our treble even more important because if we can stop them winning the Scottish Cup, as much as it's about us completing a treble, if we can stop him getting any sort of momentum this season, then it's an even bigger uphill battle next yeah. season. There's yeah. also a double-edged sword to that as well, though. Although we, we have got a track record of proving we can sell good players, we are also we are also appealable to players who are looking to come to Scotland. And what makes us more more appealing than Rangers is we've got a track record of developing and getting players our next big their next big move. So players will look at that and they'll say, well, if I had a choice between Celtic and Rangers, we are probably more attractive as well because they, we will help progress a young player's career. Yeah, the headline from that, Paddy, we are more attractive than them. I mean, <laughs> I can see people jumping on that as well. Yeah, just a fan base. Let's get a T-shirt made up and get the Axon logo on it. <laughs> Some might uh, disagree with that. Now, John, <clears throat> John, one thing I'm going to ask yourself, because <clears throat> I've watched managers coming in, doing really well, having an impact, and, and then maybe struggling to evolve the side that they've built. Now, I'm not criticised Martin O'Neill in any way, shape or form. The man is like the messiah to me and always will be for what he did when he came into Celtic. The way he did it, the way he went about his business um, and obviously to, to finally meet the man and, and shake him by the hand was tremendous a couple of weeks ago. But I'm not even saying this is a criticism. It's maybe just an observation. Was he able 
to evolve that that initial half a dozen brilliant signings that he brought in, was he able to do it again. And I've already looked at what Ange has started doing this season. You know, two players that he brought to the club have already moved on and have been replaced. I think a big thing we're going to see about Ange is not only the fact he can come in to a scenario and sort it out as he did with us, but he can continually evolve that side and, you know, the churn of players in and out the door, John. I think he's very comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the bottom the, to start with, um, you know, Martin O'Neill couldn't evolve because we didn't have the finances to keep yeah. going down that road. So that model was unsustainable, uh, and we paid for that for a few years after then, uh, with budgets getting cut basically. Um, so this is a sustainable model. Uh, there are clearly guys there with the knowledge of the world market uh, who are looking at players we've never heard of, never seen, uh, completely unaware of. It's honestly global uh, rather than just this parochial view of what's in England, what's next door. Mm-hmm. Is there a developing talent in Ireland? You know, uh, maybe there's a couple of boys in France. Yeah, it's you know, it's far, far more global in its outlook, and it's been executed very, very well. Uh, so, so far, uh, the majority of the people he's brought in have been excellent. They won't all be. The majority have been, uh, the significant majority. Um, and you can see that it's sustainable. Uh, I, I, I was listening to guys yesterday talking about, well, is now the time to sell a badder? You know, this sort of conversation is happening because people are getting more comfortable with the idea that there are going to be sore ones, basically, to lose but you know those players. It's not for. It's not whether it benefits. I mean, Abada's got about three years left in his career. I wouldn't agree. You should sell him. I think you can hold him on to another year. I don't think you get significantly more for him having an extra year in his career. I would definitely keep him. But I, you know, I can understand from the players' point of view if they're not getting minutes, why they would want to move. But the counter argument to that is, in fact, Abada's had more minutes than pretty much. Uh, in most of the players in the team. Um, so, uh, But it's interesting that those conversations are happening. Um, uh, and it's interesting that I'm trying to hold all sides of that conversation myself. <laughs> but anyway, the, um, you know, uh, because people are going to, you know, they are going to get moved on. You can see what he's doing. Um, and there is going to be a sweet spot between guys who we would like to hold on to, uh, but guys who we have to move on because they're not quite good enough. They are definitely good enough for the bench. They can start occasional games but they're def- they're not definite starters and if they're not and they want to go, we're going to have to let them. Mm-hmm. You know, And we're going to have to keep rotating that. Um, but I mean, if you look what he's done you know, so far, we've got you know, uh, I mean, it was just at the weekend again there. So there's Abada who was one of the, the first signings you know, comes on, makes a difference. There's an argument for Abada and Haxabanovich to start tonight. And then, of course, you've got Alistair Johnson or Begby, as I like to call him on the, you know, because if anyone's going to throw a pint into a crowded pub, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, and the strange thing is, it'd be Anthony Ralston who'd still be right behind him. Uh, so, <laughs> of the two characters that we have. Um, so, uh, you know, he's just some, there's been some phenomenal successes, some, um, you know, good successes and some guys who are still contributing. Um, but we can see what it's going to be. I, and I said on here, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I don't think we're ever really going to see again a completely settled squad. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see, oh, no, this is this is the team that we need and this is the, you know, 23 that we need and now we're going to do great things because there's going to be, usually probably eight guys mm-hmm. rotating in and out of that, um, you know, uh, getting bought and sold. Um, and you might have a core uh, through the spine of your team. But other than that, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to find, for instance, superstars like, you know, as Ange obviously clearly uh, had a good laugh at the other day, superstars like Carter Vickers, who has a, the long-range passing of a uh, passing accuracy of a sniper with a guide dog, um, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, it was uh, that was very funny. I have to say, I enjoyed watching that meme back of uh, Ange having a good day of slag of him. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, it is difficult to find these guys, and when you're on them, you try and keep them as long. But those are. Those are two separate problems because you're you're going to have that spine of the team that you definitely don't want to sell them. When you sell them, they're going to be big money, and you're going to have the guys on the periphery 
who we don't want to lose, but we are going to lose them because they're not getting enough time. If they get any ambition, they'll move on. You know, possibly the David Turnbulls of the world, guys like that. Um, and it's just going to be rotating around. And we're going to have to get used to it. We're going yeah. to have to get used to not having a completely sales win. But no matter what happens, we can be comfortable in the knowledge that there's a vision, there's a strategy, and there's a man there to implement it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the point that, that was made there about us being able to sell the products to other players and say, listen, if you come to Celtic, by the time you have had the experience we can give you, the success and the galvanisation of success that that provides you, because that in itself is something a lot of footballers never have, is winning uh, trophies and how to, how to make sure you do win them. The Champions League experience, the experience of playing at packed Celtic Park, how many of them have actually flopped when they've been sold for big, big money? And I, I don't like calling footballers flops. We'll get to Barkas later, John. But about the only one who probably hasn't set the heather alight is maybe Edward. Would you agree with that, Paddy? Since we, we sold Edward to Pal, started off well, kind of faded a bit. All the other guys we've sold for big money have done really, really well. Hi, I'm just trying to <coughs> rack my brains if there's anyone that was sold. I mean, even when you look at Mr Dembele, people say that his move to Lyon was a bust, but it just wasn't. He continued his scoring record in, in France as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even coming off the bench, the guy, although he wasn't perfect, I think he was still averaging a goal every two and a half games. So he, he was still doing the job in, in, in League One. Uh, French top league, sorry. League, I can't say League uh because I'm no French. But <laughs> you know where I was going with that one, not League One in England, right? <laughs> but no, I think you're right. I mean, um, obviously Tierney struggled just simply down to the form as Inchenko at Arsenal, and that's why he's looking at maybe moving on in the summer. Maybe he's not looking, but he's been targeted in the summer. But you're right, I can't think of any any big move apart from Edward that, that has really struggled to, to make it when they've moved on. Um, Wanyama was a hit, I think, originally at Southampton, then went to Tottenham. Mm-hmm. He was a hit as well when he went to Cardiff. I'm sure it was Cardiff he went to. I'm trying to go that far back. I can't really recall anybody that's that's flopped when they've moved on for us. No. Even a wee Maloney goes down to Aston Villa, does really well. Stan Petrov done really yeah. well Maloney down there as well. won the FA Cup as well. So mm-hmm. he's, 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 aye, he's had success as well. So aye, Petrov, another one. Aye. Loads of folk have left us. No, they'll never get a club like us, but um, they've certainly not flopped as far as I can think. Maybe something the comments will tell us, but I, I can't think anybody. No, definitely. I'd agree with that. Maybe, and it wasn't a massive money, maybe Gary Hooper to a degree. He's had a good career, but he, you know, he maybe didn't achieve what he certainly wanted to achieve, which was mm-hmm. playing for England and all that kind of stuff. Which was never ever going to happen. No, no, especially at the time, time of his career. And that's a great no. point John Hughes makes there is the fact that. You know, we sell Juranovic, we sell Yakamakas, but both of them are in, you know, you know that age group that Hugh McDonald last week, Hugh's a great journalist, he mentioned last week, maybe Starfield's going to be that guy yeah. in the summer at 27 or 28 years of age. Um, and, I, you know, I don't criticise him often. Um, he's sometimes, you know, at heart and mouth moments when he's trying to scoop a ball over a striker's head in the box and stuff like that. But I think he's been brilliant. However, if somebody comes in and offers you 10 million quid in the summer, at that age, you're going to consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys certainly on Axom haven't had an opportunity to talk about the St Mirren game, and there was plenty to talk about there. So I'm going to start with with Patrick, young Patrick, and just uh, run us through your thoughts on the St Mirren game before we get stuck into the uh, Hearts game tonight. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty worrying to be honest. Um, uh, well, for the first half it was anyway, but obviously because you have these flashbacks of what happened in September. Um, the penalty, I think you can see them given, you can see them not given. I've not got too many complaints about it. Um, it's just the the, the, sort of, the double standards when we're not getting the one at Tynecastle back in October, mm-hmm. uh, which hit Michael Smith's arm. Uh, you know, if, if the same rules are applied across the board, I don't really have an issue. That would be the only issue. If that happened at the other end of the pitch, I'd be wanting a penalty, if I'm being honest. Um, red card, right decision. In my opinion, the foul continues into the box. So I think we should get a penalty in the 42nd minute. Yeah. Um, but then obviously, second half, we come out. Um, I think you, you always need a bit of good fortune. And I'm not saying Jota's goal was fortunate. You know, he done really well. But it's it's one of the, it's a scrappy goal. And I think you just you need a bit of that, just one moment in a game. And then, of course, the floodgates open. We score five goals in 25 minutes or something. And I, you know, it's... 
10 man St Mum, they, they need to start coming out so we absolutely rip them apart and you know that's just what we do now so uh, not no massive complaints about our performance, you know I, did, I didn't think we played badly you know we're, we're sort of, we're caught out by one unfortunate moment three minutes in and it's you know panic stations because of previous results but no I think, I think Celtic played quite well and I'm quite happy with the, the result and the performance. There was one thing and I'm not um, a, a football uh, tactical genius by any stretch of the imagination, John. And I was watching um, a certain aspect of the game in the first half and I was asking myself, how does Ange uh, change this? And and it was a very simple thing in that we very rarely got in behind the St Mirren defence. They've spent most of their time facing the Celtic goal. And every so often we did get them chasing back. One of the moments was the 42nd minute, as Paddy, uh, Patrick alluded to there, where Kyogo manages to get the guy facing his own goal. And that's when we can start damaging and, and really hurting clubs, John. But we've seen it a few times this season, where they they, they basically set up shop so that that can't happen. And we, they, you know, they make sure that we don't get the uh, delivery into the wee pockets behind the full-backs for Jota and Maeda and, and later on uh, Abada to go in and manipulate. Um, but when you're up against that, and I know that the sending-off certainly did assist us in this, how difficult is that for Celtic to break down and to change it and to actually get St Mirren chasing back, facing their own goal, on the back foot, as it were? Yeah, well, look, you know, first of all, you can't make excuses for it because at the end of the day, that's your, that's your bread and butter. That's nearly every week. Mm. So if you can't find a way to break them down, you're going to be banging trouble. Um, now, this side, for me, more than most um, that we've seen uh, in the last you know, decade or so, uh, has been very effective at finding ways to break them down. Now, the first half wasn't like that. I mean, you know, Jota was ineffective on both wings. He was playing in front of them. They ran right from one side of the field to the other at one point. Um, you know, the opposite of letting the ball do the work, you know, trying to beat men where there's no space behind them to run on to. You know, it doesn't matter what trick you're doing five yards in front of someone. You've got to be close enough or going fast enough or, you know, eh, taking a return pass well enough in order to get through past them. You can't just run through people. So it was um, it was particularly ineffective. But I was going to say something to that effect at half time. as a matter of fact. If I'd been on, that's why I don't do the live shows. If I'd been on, I probably would have done. Um, but, you know, in my head then I thought, no, I'm not going to because especially with a man down... And the one thing you could see from Jota was his frustration. And I remember when I was writing something about Dad, you know, you, I spoke about the, the the courage to continue creating, and it's very, very difficult. So you've got you've got me a big bait right back there, getting torn into people, and that's fine. That's one kind of courage. Um, but the, when you're a forward player like that, the, the courage comes in having the shall we say, yet again, the testicular fortitude to uh, <laughs> keep on uh, trying, to keep on doing that, you know, knowing that you're not playing well, you know, to keep on trying to create, to keep on trying to make something happen. And you could see when he scored, you know, it was that sort of angry happy, he was frustrated, yeah. you know, he, he was annoyed at himself, and you could see that from his reactions to other people as well. And I like that. You know, I like to see that because it matters. He knows he's not doing his job to the best of his ability, but he keeps on digging and keeps on trying. Now, sometimes that won't be enough. He's going to get subbed off, and you could argue tonight there is a solid argument for Abada and Haxabanovic, um, you know, on the wings. Uh, but, it, you know, it was... Sorry, John, you're frozen. It benefited us. <clears throat> back. Did, 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 that, did that sending off just... Uh, did that sending off just occur for no reason at all? Am I not wrong? In, you know, am I wrong in thinking that Kyogo chased that man down and, and he panicked, he completely panicked, and there was no need for him to because when you watch it back, the goalie was coming out, almost certainly had it covered. Uh, and uh, if he just let him go, uh, Kyogo had a real extreme angle and might have scored, but, you know, they'd still have been in with a chance. So he just panicked, but he panicked under pressure, and that's part of our game. It doesn't happen by accident. So we forced that, um, and you know, from then on, we can get behind them. There's a bit more space, uh, and obviously, that's to our benefit. But we're going to do that to teams. I mean, forcing that, forcing that mistake was a critical part of that game, and that's part of the way we play. And we're going to do that to other teams. So 
you know, I, we have a very creative team. It's very difficult. It's very difficult for them as players to get yourself up to your optimum for every single game mm-hmm. when guys are sitting behind the ball and it's a drudge and here I am, I'm getting it back here and I'm, I'm not getting it in space and what do you want me to do with this? Do you know what I mean? You're just shifting the ball around for, you know, moving its sake. Um, but it's frustrating. It's frustrating for us to watch it. It's frustrating for them to play, but their job is to break it down and they have done that very successfully. They did it successfully again in this game uh, and it was great to see and it's great to see the impact of players coming off the bench. You know, Abada comes on, adds that directness, adds that pace, adds, adds that, you know, lethal uh, finishing. You know, Abada the assassin once more, you know. So it's, it's just wonderful to see that. Uh, and again, Ben uh, B getting his goal by bending someone over. <laughs> as far as I can tell, heading it off his back, just using them as a wee platform, throwing them into the goal. Fantastic. Um but that, that was great to see and how much he cares as well. And then, um, you know, uh, Abada. And then, again, importantly, O oh, uh, taking his very, very, very dodgily taken penalty. Mm. I don't like, like a, an Irish dancer being electrocuted. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what he was at there with that, that run-up. but um, A tactical masterclass, John. After that was... Under the only only part of the goalie, he squeezed it under the only part of the goalie that wasn't on the deck at that point. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, it was there. Uh, but he scored. That we'll give him that. Uh, but you know, all all that stuff was beneficial to us. Uh, guys got minutes. Guys scored who wanted to score. There was lots of benefit in that game for us. So yeah, no, it was a poor first half. Uh, you know, uh, for them and for us. But you know, at the end of the day, St Mirren, as they've shown before. Are one of the sides that know or can set out their stall to try and frustrate us. But in my view, in these situations now, we've just got too much firepower. And if they had held out with 11 men until the 70th minute, I reckon we'd have rolled over them in the last 20 or 30. You know, so I, I just, you know, I don't see anyone, you know, um, causing us enough problems uh, that they're going to frustrate us to the point that we cannot get past them. No, that's a great point because there's been sides in the past, and it's not a, a you know a, a, an opportunity to have a dig at Neil Lennon. But I remember in that final season we would come up against this this wall of defenders, Paddy, yeah. and we couldn't find a way. And it was yeah. almost as if the only option we seemed to have is try and ping a shot from 25, 30 yards and they were going all over the place. Ryan Christie's um, accuracy wasn't the best as <laughs> Colin Watt. Um, used to, it used to frustrate the life out of Colin Watt. But it was like we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a contingency and we certainly didn't have the bench that we've got now where he can bring someone else on to try and uh, pick that lock. The thing they've got in this team, though, is goals for everywhere. The only person I don't think it's scored in the team so far is Joe Hart. I think every every outfield player. I'm being serious. I think I'm pretty sure every outfield player that played on against Marin has. Are you suggesting we should replace him, Paddy? Well, Barkas is free, isn't he? He's, he's on his way back. But that, that, yeah. but I think the point I'm trying to make is the thing that's the difference between then and now. Then we were relying on maybe three, four players, whereas now we've got goals coming from everywhere. Um, so no, I mean, I mean, I, uh, I think that's that's why probably one of the reasons why I'm probably more confident about the treble this season than I have been other seasons, just simply because we've got an attacking threat in every area of the team. Um, the way we set up, we just break down teams, we wear them down and wear them down, and that was never more apparent than what happened on on Sunday. Um, I've got to disagree a wee bit with, with the young man there about the penalties. I, I, I can't believe Greg Taylor's was given. I mean, he was on the edge of the box. The ball was played off his arm. His momentum lifted his arm. It was as if he was lifting his arm up, as I've seen other players do. And for the benefit of the podcast, I put my hands up in front of my face. Um, I, I, I just I, I just think there's a we, we need to kind of look at that rule really again. I, I think that was a ridiculous decision. The Kyogo penalty, oh, I can live. I can live with that. It was touch and go, really. Um, but I, that was me off on a tangent again. But I think I, I think the amount of attack and threat we've got in this team is just is just phenomenal. And I think that's the reason why we're all probably confident that our trebles probably going to happen this season. 
Yeah, let's look back on this particular episode, hopefully, and say we told you so, uh, rather than it becoming a meme itself. Um, M. Young, rest of your four, bring in O'Reilly. We're talking about tonight's game now, Abada, Hacksaw and possibly Ralston. Put game to bed by half-time and sub-rest of usual starters in the second half. Job done. My, my question, Paddy, would be, uh, Patrick rather, would be, can you see Ange doing that? Because, I mean, just last week I'm saying we're going to play our strongest side. I think there's now an argument to say Abada's in that side, obviously, because of his performance. Both wingers weren't, you know, it wasn't vintage performances by Maida or, or Jota, particularly in the first half. So yeah, I can see Hacksaw maybe coming in as well. By the way, that baby nickname's going to stick, John. That's an, that's an absolute belter. Um, <laughs> can, can you actually see, Patrick, Ange making three or four changes? Or do you think it's going to be more of a tinkering, maybe one or two? I think it will just be one or two. Um, I was quite surprised when I was listening to the commentary on uh, Sunday. The game was Sunday, wasn't it? Um, it was only the third time this season he'd started the same eleven as the previous game. He's always tinkered with the lineup um, by you know swapping one or two players out. So I think we'll definitely see a change. You know, I've not got the stats for how often has he played the same eleven three games in a row. Um, I imagine in the first six months. Um, when he didn't have many options, I imagine he probably done that. But this season, I think he's been tinkering. So I would, I would bring uh, Abad in. Um, I'm not opposed to Haksabanovic coming in. Um, I've just, I don't feel there's any indication he's going to do that um, because he, he went to change the game at half time. He brought Abad on, um, and he never brought Haksabanovic on. And he's bringing Haksabanovic on quite late in games. Um, so I can definitely see Abad coming in. Um, could see O'Reilly coming in. You know, he, he's got his goal. Um, you know, we might be saving Moy for a more physical game at Tyne Castle. You don't know. Um, so I could, I could see one or two changes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that man Moy, that man Moy, John. What a performance! Three assists in the, in the, the game against Saint Man. Yeah, and, and again, you know, wasn't having a particularly uh, great game going. Uh, you know, during the first half, but at the end of the day, you know, he's the man that unpicks a lock, isn't he? You know, he he's 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 the cat burglar. Uh, he'll uh, steal all. He'll steal all your hope from you uh, by playing the beautiful balls through and mm-hmm. just making things happen. But you know, again, that uh, that that shot I go. Um, I don't think that was in any way fortunate. I mean, Moy plays that, and it, you know, is blocked essentially by Jota uh, just sliding in. But I think that was a sensational finish from the deck into the space that he had, you know, yeah. along the ground. It's not like he scoffed it in. You know, it, it was a fantastic finish from that position. Yeah, the, the one thing that frustrates me about Haksabanovic, uh, and, you know, I was listening to Alan Morrison the other day, and which sort of perfectly uh, explains the issue, is I want to see Haksabanovic in the team, uh, but uh, he's not really fast enough. He doesn't have the, the pace that you'd want in a winger. Um, that doesn't matter a lot of the time against the teams that we're playing. Um, <clears throat> but what he does have is sensational creative passing stats. Apparently he's more creative passing. He's much better at that than pretty much anyone else in the team. Um, so he profiles as a number 10 uh, but we don't play number ten, yeah, you know. So th- this is the issue. Uh, we don't play the position that he'd be well, well suited for. But at the start mm-hmm. of the season, I was saying I want to see him. You know, even when we were going into Europe, I wanted to see him at the tip of the midfield. You know, I wanted to see a more defensive midfield, and I wanted to see him essentially in that uh, ten role, um, basically. Uh, you know, just because I, you know, you try to get the best out of your best players. But look. It is what it is. Ange has his uh, vision for how he wants the team to play. He may never fit in, uh, which would be a hell of a shame because I think he's a cracking player uh, and I would love to see more of him. Uh, you know, someone who is that creative. It's like Moy, you know, despite the fact he's older and all the rest of it, you, you can't, uh, you know, we're talking about how we're getting past these teams. We're getting past these teams that dig in because we have incredible creativity. Uh, in certain areas of, of the team, incredible imagination, incredible vision, uh, and you know the ability to execute as well—that talent, you know—to make those passes, to see that, uh, you know, what's on, um, you know, the the instinct to do the right thing. So we have lots of that uh, in the in the team, and it's critical because most of our games involve breaking down stubborn defences. Tonight, 
uh, is unlikely to be any different. Uh, I, I think he will make a couple of changes, uh, as Patrick said. I don't think it's going to be anything dramatic because, listen, this is a business end of the season. You know, you're, you're not rotating people for the sake of it here. You know, we're not trying to save people's legs here. You know, this is this is the end game. You know, so you, you run until you drop uh, and you better be playing well when you do drop or you're not getting back in. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't see any reason he'll be saving them physically. Uh, particularly, so I, I think he will from now to the end of the season primarily play the, the first 11 that we saw with one or two uh, changes, uh, which is unfortunate. You know, O'Reilly's playing relatively well. Uh, the argument is, uh, you know, to prove what I'm saying is the fact that Moy's still playing because Moy is playing particularly well, but Moy's not the future. You know, you've got O'Reilly there who is the future mm -hmm. and can't get a game in front of an old man. You know, but that old man's playing a blinder. You know, so and it's a business end of the season. We need the results. Ultimately, we need to win. You know, so uh, I don't expect Ange to do anything dramatic. Uh, that said, we'll probably make half a dozen changes tonight because that's just the way he likes to embarrass you. <laughs> yeah, if Moy's an old man, John, I don't know what you and I are, my friend. I don't know. I don't know yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you're right, Kyogo does frighten people into doing things like pulling them down at the edge of the box, or uh, he frightened Crawford Allen into you know crawling out from under his rock to actually speak to Scottish football and its fans. Have we seen him since? I'm not quite sure. Um, tonight as well, uh. 100 games under Ange Postecoglou this evening. He's won 73 out of 99. He's going to become a centurion. And it's at that time where you kind of look back, uh, Paddy, and you say, well, you know, what, what have you most enjoyed? What kind of moments have you most enjoyed? And he was asked that himself, and he said, you know, just being offered the job, accepting the job. And that's a typical Ange answer. It's brilliant. What about yourself as a fan, Paddy Sinnott? What, what's been your, your biggest high points of your, our time under Ange so far? Uh, we were, we were, excuse me, we were actually chatting about that last night in the group chat, and, and the, the the one game that I think for me is is a standout was the six 0 against Dundee last season, um, because in that game you could see what Ange was trying to do. You could see glimpses of the football we were starting to play, even with the limited squad that we had. Um, Kyogo got a hat trick that day as well, and that was the first time we saw Kyogo as a as a the Kyogo that we know the now. Because um, we'd watched we'd watched it trying to happen during um, pre-season, we well, up against teams like Sheffield Wednesday, and then we get that doing off of West Ham at Celtic Park, and it was uh, the six-nil game. I think was the second game of the season, and that's when it just seemed to click. And we we just watched a game of football that I've never seen before. It was relentless attacking, constant pressing, and then they followed it up the following week with a six-nil win against St Mirren, and we're thinking right. This is this is a this is a proper this is the way to play football. This is the kind of football Celtic fans love for. And obviously we we lost to Ibrox a week after that. But that was the beginning, that was a building block for me that gave me a glimpse as a fan to see where Ange is taking this team. And when you look at the, the team we had then compared to what we have now, I mean man, I can't wait for next season. I can't wait to see who he's going to bring in in the summer. I can't yeah. wait to see how he's going to improve that squad because when you look at that squad. There's, there's not even a weak, a, a weak link uh, within that first 11. And if you're going to really poke and prod at it, you would maybe say the backup for left-backs maybe a weak link. We maybe need to look at a goalkeeper. But my God, under under Ange right now, um, so from my point of view, that 6-0 game was my, 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 my standout point for, for, his, um, for his tenure as a manager. Can I, can I just come in there, Paul, and say, you know, thankfully, we were talking about this last night because my memory's so bad <laughs> uh, that I actually have to go and look these things up because if you put me on the spot about it, I'd go, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, went, I went away and I thought, right, okay, I'll have a wee look here. And then it was obvious. Uh, and you're talking about the squad, and this is why this is uh, definitely my favourite. So Ross County, December 15th, uh, 21. Our front three... Montgomery, Abada, and Juranovic. <laughs> right? So, Abada scores, grand, in the second half. It's doer, as it is. It's freezing, it's doer. You're in the Highlands. Uh, Starfield gets sent off, as is mm. his wound. 
at that point. Um, so we're absolutely struggling. We've got nothing. We're not showing anything. It's a hellish game. And the pressure at that time was massive. That game was massive. Mm-hmm. It was so stressful. I remember sitting out and watching it on the edge of my seat, just freaking out. It was it was absolutely huge. And in the seventh minute of injury time, there leaps the salmon, the hero <laughs> that is Anthony Ralston, uh, before he was supplanted so unfairly by Johnson coming in and playing a blinder. But Ralston, then um, you know, again at that point he was so critical, and what a goal that was! The unbelievable relief of that goal. Seven minutes of injury time. Mm-hmm. Well, celebration uh, by Ralston as well, uh, isn't it? It was, it was unbelievable, <clears throat> fantastic, fantastic. The whole thing was fantastic. It's one of those, you know, it's you remember it just because of the relief, um, and not because of the game, because the game was pretty awful. But the the, the sheer relief and the, the win. Uh, and how we got the win and the, how important the win was. And that's the kind of thing, to me, that was starting to show then, that was real, the, the, the beginnings of the resilience of the, the squad that's been built, that mm-hmm. we never stop. Uh, you know, that, that's where we started to see the real, um, those foundations being laid and that we will keep going absolutely to the end. Uh, and that's what we did. Uh, and uh, it was a magnificent victory at the end of the day. Yeah, it was. I'm going to come to yourself, Patrick, because John's talking about that uh, mentality, the we never stop mentality. Paddy's mentioned the kind of style and the flair that we've seen in the, the you know, in the, the two six nothing games. What about yourself? What's your your best memory of the first hundred on ninety nine? I think um, the the best memory is definitely three nothing at Parkhead last February. That's that's the best memory. I think we were talking about it in the group chat last night, slightly different terms. Yeah. I think we were talking I about um, where you began to believe almost. And I think I went for six nothing against Dundee, second league game of the season. And I, I honestly believe from that point that we at least had a chance of winning the league because I thought we are phenomenal, and if we keep it up, we'll have more than a good chance. Yeah, but Paddy's point was definitely. Yeah, Paddy's point last night was outside of the Rangers games. Uh, outside so of the outside Rangers. of the Rangers games. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. right. Well, if you include them, three nothing because it was, <laughs> you know, I, th- I don't think we beat them in ninety minutes for like two years or something, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. um, a year and a half. Um, it was it was to go top. We played unbelievably well. I don't think I've seen Celtic play better in a forty-five minute period than I did in the first half that night. Um, so that would definitely be my highlight. And if I think if he wins tonight, he's he's only behind Martin O'Neill in terms of one percentage. And I think he'd be seventy four percent, and Martin's on just under seventy six. Um, so a very it's impressive kind of... manager for for his first hundred games. That was a really special night. There was a real coming together, and a part of that was due to the fact that the entire stadium was full of Celtic fans, of course. But we also seen. We'd already had glimpses of it, but we also seen the brilliance of Hatate. And I, I, if I was to throw one in, I'm going to throw in the League Cup final because I just felt that, um, as I said before, the actual success and what that does to a group of players to experience its success together is massive. It really is massive. And I think we took that success on for the rest of the season, winning that trophy against Hibs. And I'm hoping that the same thing happens this season as well. Um, oh, sorry, Paul. You mean, are you meaning last year's League Cup final? There's been so many. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. The, Kyo- the Kyogo Cup final. Oh, again, the Kyogo yeah. final. Sorry, yeah, sorry. There's so many of those as well. So, <laughs> um, But, John, we were talking just before we came on about you know, the, some comments being made by by Barkas and um, a couple of weeks back, we listed the 12 players that Celtic have had or have currently out on loan. Question being, how many of them are actually going to come back and have a career at Celtic? Yeah. And, you know, most people didn't think that many. It was slim pickings. It was maybe one or two. And you're giving some of the young guys the benefit of the fact that they've not really <coughs> played or not played at all. And you'd hope that they would come back and get an opportunity. But the vast majority of the loanees that are going out. It's a discussion uh, Paddy Sinnott and I had actually over December. Uh, coming back into the club, there's going to be very few of them uh, making an impact. But I think that feeds into what's going to happen this summer. There could be quite a few players, John, leaving the building. Personally, I'm hoping that uh, Barkas is one of them. Well, old hologram hands, yeah. Um, uh, no one's had more trouble with angles since Mr Blobby. Um, no, he's... he's uh, <laughs> 
He's, he's definitely not one. I actually started writing a tweet and stopped and didn't I didn't send it because it started out with me trying to be funny and ended. It was just cruel. You know, there was so many <laughs> things that you were saying about it. It was actually just cruel. Uh, so I didn't I didn't tweet it. Um, and I just said instead that, you know, I think it's a relationship that just needs to be severed. However, uh, I did get the, the, the defender of all keepers, Mr. Uh, John Fallon, coming on to tell me uh, everyone blames a keeper. It's not the keeper, you know. So uh, John defending all keepers, as is his way. Uh, but I'm afraid I don't agree with him. Uh, uh, he did. I don't think he was unfairly maligned. I don't think he was denied opportunity. I think he had all those things. Were there circumstances conspiring against him on a personal level? Absolutely. But unfortunately, you've still got to produce professionally. Uh, you know, especially in his position, uh, we just can't have that. And I, I mean, you know, the the end of the day, the relationship with the fans is, is absolutely dead. He, he wouldn't get a chance. The first mistake he made he'd be booed off the pitch. He just wouldn't get a chance. Um, I think it's best he moves on. The problem, of course, is I've got no issue with him moving on. I'd prefer not to see him again. Um, the issue is how do we get rid of him? Uh, because, I mean, we, we've wasted so much money on the fella, you know, mm. the, the five million signing on fees, wages mm. when we had them. Uh, we need to try and recoup as much of that as possible, but that's going to be very difficult. And so essentially what you're saying is, Maybe the best we can do is get his wages covered by sending him out on loan, uh, but then we get nothing for him in terms of the end of his contract. We, we've just that's five million plus just uh, spent with nothing back, and we are not a big enough club to be able to just waste five million quid, uh, you know. And between him and a Yeti, two of the worst signings anybody ever made. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to be personal to the guy. I know it's easy to. You know, to slag him, uh, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of his performances deserve that. Um, it's not his fault as a person, you know. So he didn't spend five million on himself; that was our fault, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, and you know, you would think somebody's head would have rolled over that one, but no. Anyway, a very expensive mistake. Uh, so I don't think he's going to come back. I don't think I, I was going down through the list. I was thinking about talking about it on a show a few weeks back and I was looking at the list of guys who are out on loan. There's maybe a couple, maybe a couple, uh, but I, I just don't see it because they've gone out there and I don't think anyone is going to get another chance like Ralston did, mm. which is to go out, do badly, come back, remain in the squad, you know, and then come good a couple of years down the road. I just don't think that's ever going to happen again. Um, who would you take, John? Who would you bring back? Well, I, mean, I can't remember the, the list off the top of my head, but obviously Sorrow, because he was brilliant. No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I actually can't remember who I was thinking about, Paddy, because there was a bit, there was, we've got quite a lot of guys out on loan. Uh, there's about mm-hmm. 10 on loan. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know and yeah. I remember thinking maybe one, maybe two. You know, I, you know, even the likes of Mikey Johnson that's out there. He still doesn't look any more than a squad player, even out there playing for them. Because the last time you were talking about it, me, me and Paul John, I, I was saying possibly Adam Montgomery, and I also I said Udegidi. Yeah. But even then, I can't yeah. see a place for any of the two. No, no, Don't it's very know. difficult, very difficult, yeah. and um, you know it's difficult as well because you don't want to. You know, these are young men and you don't want to be, you know, so casually dismissing their potential, you know, and their career, especially given what we have seen from, you know, Taylor coming good from, especially Ralston coming good. Um, I don't think, I I don't ever want to hear again, you know, he's not fit to pull on the jersey, you know, or anything like that, because, you know, you you just don't know that they've been through a period in their careers, maybe they're not, but, you know, let's let's say Barca, Barca could come back and Play fantastically. I don't think it's going to happen. But position. I- <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, goalie? He likes playing the slack, apparently. You got me there. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. That was a good. <laughs> I, 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 I think you're right. Though. I mean, Montgomery gets gets uh, 
a mention, and I think it's because he didn't do particularly badly when he played for Celtic. No, but exactly. yeah. I'm looking at the impact that um, previous players have made whilst on loan at, loan at other Scottish clubs. Guys like Christie, who went out and really made an impact at Aberdeen. I think Chris Iyer made an impact at Killy. Um, maybe, to a lesser degree, Leo Held. I wanted him to come back because how he had performed at Ross County it didn't happen and we eventually lost him. And I don't think Montgomery's made that same kind of impact at St Johnston. He's played plenty of games, but I don't know if he's made the impact that would you know allow him to come back and be a second choice um, in that position. But, you know, you mentioned the five million, John. Sorrow and Ayeti on top of that, it's probably 12, 13 million just for those three guys. Yeah. Chuck the wages in, what you're looking at, 30 or 40 grand in wages a week. Yeah. It, it's, it is something that needs to be sorted. And you know what? I'm pretty confident Ange will sort it. And if, if we can bring three or four players who are then pushing for a jersey um, and, and rid ourselves of the 10 or 11 who are not contributing, yeah, again, it just streamlines that squad and it makes us a lot stronger for next season. And I'm like yourself, John, these guys aren't actually bad footballers. You know, they must have something to be at this level to have got to Celtic Park for us to spend five million quid on a player. You know, they've got something that's just not worked out. So you wish them all the best. And on the on they go to, uh, to their next club. Hopefully we are able to do that. I think Barkas is planning to come back, though, and haunt us. Um, tonight, quick predictions. I'll start with Patrick McGill. Quick prediction for tonight. Three uh, nothing. Three nothing Celtic. What about yourself, John? Uh, I'd agree. Go for three. three. And Paddy? Mm, these games are always tight. We've only won by more than one goal in five occasions since 2018, so I'm going to go 2 now. Oh, they are tight. I'm going to go four. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, we'll be back half an hour before the kickoff tonight. Looking forward to that. I've got to say it's been obviously big shoes to fill with Kevin Graham. I don't have the analogies. I don't have the poetry. Hopefully I was able to fill his boots, but he will be back next week. Thanks everybody for getting involved. This jersey behind us is a concept kit with a, an Australian tinge. It's a classic Adidas. If you subscribe to the channel, you'll be put into a prize draw to win that. And also, Alan Thompson, the boys from Seville, is coming to uh, Glasgow. He's coming to Gracie's at the end of April. If you want to come along, there's a few tickets available, not many. The ticket link is underneath the video. You can come along and meet some of your Axon favourites, if you've got any, um, because normally they are in the crowd. Uh, Lawrence might even buy you a pint. All that's left for me to say is Paddy, <laughs> Patrick and John, thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Network.